right. Well, it's good to get to be together here this morning, uh, both in here as well as in the East Auditorium in Lovington. Uh, if you're newer with us, my name is Brian, uh, one of the pastors here, and the privilege uh, is mine to bring you God's Word today. And so today we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah in the Bible. I invite you to turn there. And uh, as you do, I recognize here in this first weekend of December, if there was any doubt going to a store after uh, Halloween or even after Thanksgiving, we are now officially fully into uh, the Christmas season. And uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like each year as a Christ follower, I do face this this tension, if you will, um, between what we could maybe overgeneralize as our secular, cultural, contemporary, uh, commercialized Christmas with what we might call the, the Christian's Christmas that's, uh, you know, focused on the coming of Christ. And uh, each year, that tension is actually, ironically, on display in our decor in our home, in that we have this little set of books that only comes out uh, at Christmas time that are Christmas books. We have this little basket by the mantle uh, that has this two-book set that kind of paints the, uh, the contrast. Uh, one book is The Night Before Christmas, uh, with stockings hung by the chimney with care in hope that St. Nicholas would soon be there, as well as uh, this book, The Newborn King, which from Luke 2.16 paints the picture of the shepherds hurrying to Bethlehem to find Mary, Joseph, and in a manger, the baby lying there. And so we have this contrast or this tension. It's, it's not all necessarily bad. I want to paint it that way in that really there's some parts of our cultural Christmas that have some really uh, core Christian values in it. Uh, for example, just the generous uh, act of gift giving, uh, families coming together. Uh, it's a season where it seems that everybody is uh, more attuned into giving to those who are in need. Uh, even in our decor, we have uh, around the world literally billions of lights that decorate trees and bushes and homes uh, that represent in the decor this idea that God's light has come to shine in the darkness. And that's what this series leading up to Christmas is all about. What is this light all about, this light that we are waiting for, uh, that we celebrate, yes, uh, on Christmas Day, but also in the true meaning of Advent, uh, the waiting of Jesus' second coming, uh, as we wait for this light. And so our message of light here today comes from the prophet Isaiah. And uh, we're going to be looking at both chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Isaiah, and At the time that Isaiah is writing this, he's originally writing it for its original audience uh, to God's people, the nation of Israel. And uh, really, he's focused on Judah in that this period of time uh, in the 8th century BC, uh, Israel is divided into two nation states. You have Israel to the north and then Judah to the south. And at this time uh, is the reign of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire is this monster empire. It's like taking over the whole known world. And in 722 BC, they've taken over uh, the north, Israel, and they are making their way south to take over Judah as well. And so this darkness of Assyria is coming in upon them. Uh, It would be like for us, like if one day we found out that Canada had taken over Minnesota and Michigan, and Ohio, and Iowa, and Indiana, and and we were next on that hit list. Um, 
Now, Pastor Wayne, he is a Canadian, and so he could never get away with saying that. Uh, but as an American, I think we can, we can all uh, laugh a little bit about that idea. And so uh, that's, what, that's what we would feel. It would be like that. It would be like Canada, the doom of the Canadians coming in around us, and we would want some direction, some deliverance, uh, some light, if you will, in the midst of this darkness that was coming upon us. That was a situation uh, in a very real way uh, for Judah with the Assyrian Empire. And so Isaiah, he's writing to God's people in the midst of this saying, hey, I've got the direction, I've got uh, the deliverance, I've got the light that you are looking for, the light that you have been waiting for, to borrow from our series title, uh, as he writes to the people of Judah in the midst of this darkness. And so we're going to read in chapter 8. First is uh, Judah, he's actually, uh, or Isaiah, he's calling Judah out. He's correcting and rebuking them, saying, hey, first off, you all have been looking for light and direction, uh, essentially in all the wrong places. And then when we get over to chapter 9, he's going to point Judah to the true light, if you will, uh, the true place to find direction and life and light, uh, both for them and then hint, 2,700 years later for us as well. And so follow with me first in chapter 8. Uh, we'll start in verse 19, where Judah is looking for light in all the wrong places. Isaiah points it this way. He says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? He says, instead, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land when they are famished. They will become enraged, looking upward and curse their king and their God. And then looking toward the earth, they will see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. And so Isaiah is painting this picture that in the shadow of Assyria uh, looming over Judah, he's saying, hey, time out. Instead of you guys going to God, you are seeking direction in all the wrong places, like mediums and spiritists. And Isaiah warns that these wrong places, they have, quote, no light in them, verse 20. And essentially, by looking for light in all the wrong places, ironically, you're only making things even darker, uh, as he says that they are being thrust into utter darkness. And so what Isaiah is painting for them is that in the midst of this dark season, there's this temptation, there's this danger, uh, ironically, that in the midst of darkness, how for them and for us, when we go looking for light in all the wrong places, well, interestingly, things get even darker. Could illustrate it this way. It would be like uh, one of us, it would be like in our modern day, like walking into a dark room. Ooh, special effects. Yes, it would be like us walking into a dark room and then in the midst of that dark room, searching for a flashlight and instead of grabbing a flashlight, instead grab a hold of a blindfold. And you might say, well, that's really dumb. Why would anyone do that? Exactly. That's what Isaiah is trying to say. He said, when you, in the midst of darkness, go looking for light in all the wrong places, well, then things just get even darker. Things just get even darker. And so we see this play out. Uh, we see this play out uh, in our own lives, 
in the lives of those closest to us. You know, whether it's the shadow of a failed relationship, uh, maybe the shadow of a, of a, drop, a job struggle, uh, perhaps uh, financial pressure that you're facing. Uh, maybe it's a, a diagnosis, uh, whether in yourself or in someone you love. Uh, maybe a loss this past year. Uh, it could be the darkness of unconfessed, unrepentant, ongoing sin. Or just maybe just the everyday kind of darkness we face with just the despair and stress, and maybe the worries and maybe even the overwhelm of, of this season it just seems to add more and more to the plate. Um, I know for me, I have what I've noticed is my, I, I call it my overwhelm tell. You know, like my, my poker face is off. Like my overwhelm tell for me is this weird dynamic that when I'm leaving the house in the morning, that as I observe uh, our family dog, this is our family dog, her name is Millie. Uh, she's, she's the one on the left. The one on the right, that's a, just a furry pillow. But the one on the left is our mini golden doodle. And I tell you, I never feel more like a man when I say those three words. <laughs> mini golden doodle. Uh, and so anyway, I will observe her uh, and all her responsible less life no obligations that day. And this is my tell that I know I'm sensing some overwhelm and some stress. When I find myself actually wishing I could be the dog instead of myself. Uh, I would trade my spot for eating kibble as a meal two times a day uh, than the worries or the stresses or the overwhelm that I'm feeling that day. So that's my tell. I know, kind of weird. Maybe you relate. Maybe you're thinking I'm weird as well. Uh, but you, we all have these things that kind of tip us off that you could say the, I like to call it the it is well with my soul meter is running a little low. And so it's a dark day. It's a dark season. And what Isaiah is painting that the crazy thing is that in the midst of these dark seasons and these dark days, there's this temptation to actually look for the light switch uh, in all the wrong places, to look for the light in all the wrong places, uh, to find maybe coping in, uh, maybe for you, it's escaping through drugs or alcohol, uh, maybe slipping into pornography or gambling, uh, maybe giving yourself over to, to binge shopping uh, or binge eating or binge watching. It's in these dark seasons that you gotta watch that maybe you start isolating yourselves from healthy relationships. Uh, and then on the inverse, maybe giving yourself over to toxic relationships. And it's all these responses, these sources, these, these things that, that blind us further in the midst uh, of an already dark time, as it says in verse 22, really putting us into utter darkness in the midst of darkness. Or you could say like putting on a blindfold in the middle of an already dark room. And so that's the picture and the warning and the caution and the correction that Isaiah paints in chapter eight. Uh, however, the good news of chapter eight is that chapter nine is on the other side. Chapter nine is the other side of chapter eight's coin. And so follow with me as Isaiah opens up chapter nine with personally, my number one gold medal, absolute favorite word in the Bible, Isaiah chapter one, nine, verse one, nevertheless. Nevertheless, it's my favorite word because even though you're wandering through darkness, God's word says, nevertheless. Even though maybe currently you are in despair and stress and overwhelm, God's word, nevertheless. Even though that particular temptation or that sin has a hold of you, nevertheless. 
even though you feel like you've put on a blindfold in an already dark room, nevertheless, even though verse 22 is what ends chapter eight, and you are consumed with, quote, distress, darkness, fearful gloom, and being thrust, quote, into utter darkness, Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. And then from here, Isaiah paints how. He says, in the past, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, uh, and so Isaiah is speaking to these territories that have already been conquered uh, by Assyria and Israel to the north. Uh, so that's, that was the past, but this, he says, in the future, so the future, now Isaiah is talking about, he's moving into prophecy, okay? And so quick definition of prophecy, that is a God-given prediction and description of something in the future that apart from God's divine revelation is with, not within the capability of humans to foresee. And so Isaiah is giving God-given prophecy. He's talking about the future. He says in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Okay? And so now Isaiah is talking about the locations and the places where uh, this light, this true light, is going to show up on the scene. Then chapter 9, verse 2, says, The people walking in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, and that word for deep darkness here is the same word from Psalm 23's darkest valleys or shadow of death, where it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Isaiah proclaims, a light has dawned. Even in the midst of darkness, even where there are blindfolds, a light has dawned. And so what is this light? Or maybe more accurately, who is this light that Isaiah is prophesying about? Well, the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament communicates the fulfillment of that prophecy that we just read in the Old Testament. We have Matthew quoting Isaiah saying, Matthew chapter four, verse 15 and 16. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so if you haven't already pieced it together, this light that Isaiah prophesied about 700 years BC before Christ now comes to fruition 700 years later in the coming of Christ in which we pivot all of time's calendar on Jesus Christ, the child that we celebrate at Christmas. And so that's who's coming. That's who the light is. Uh, if you're following along, you see verses three through five. Quick summary there. That's uh, Isaiah's first level of fulfilling this prophecy. Uh, remember the actual day and time you've got uh, Judah under the threat of Assyria. And so this is saying how Judah is gonna be delivered by God's hand. And we see that come to fruition in Isaiah 37 and 2 Kings 19, where God supernaturally wipes out 185,000 Assyrians. So first level of that prophecy is fulfilled. And then the next level, we see coming uh, verse six, talking about the coming of this light in Jesus Christ, uh, of which we fully await his second return, uh, depicts who this light is uh, as he says it this way. For unto us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders Meaning this child, he will shoulder, he will usher in a whole new, you could say governance system, a whole new kingdom, a whole new way. 
And so as Isaiah paints uh, the other side of chapter eight with chapter nine about this true light, really what he paints both for Judah as well as for us is a choice. He paints a choice. Essentially, he is painting the, the difference between chapter eight's In chapter nine, he is painting the difference between the world's way and God's way. And Isaiah is saying, hey, in the midst of life's darkest valleys, uh, you can go looking for light in all the wrong places. You can essentially put a blindfold on in an already dark room, plunging yourself into, quote, utter darkness, or, or you can place your faith in the Isaiah 9.1, as fulfilled in Matthew 4.16, place your faith and your trust in, quote, the great light that has dawned. The great light that has dawned. And from there, Isaiah goes to say, okay, so what does this light look like? Should you choose to follow it? He says, he gives these, you could say these spectrums of what the light is as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. That this is who this light is. And as I was studying these, these spectrums of the light, if you will, um, I noticed in each of them this, you, c- you could say almost this domino effect, this like if this, then that with each of these subsequent explanations. And it reminded me of this app that I have on my phone. Um, interestingly, you guys might be familiar with it called uh, IFTTT, which stands for if this, then that. And if you're unfamiliar, what this application does is uh, it actually ties and communicates several applications on your phone in this um, kind of sequence of things that if this one thing happens and another thing will happen to apparently make your life, as all apps are supposed to do, uh, more productive and more convenient. For example, say, for example, on your phone you have a weather app. And if you have the IFTTT app, if the weather app tells you that rain is in the forecast for tomorrow, if this is the case, then that app will then send you an email telling you that rain is in the forecast. So you kind of this, if this, then that. Um, If you're into social media, for example, um, the trouble of uploading your photos to all your social media accounts can be erased with IFTTT. Because if you upload a photo to Instagram, it can automatically upload that same photo to Facebook. Or this one was pretty cool. Um, If you have like kind of one of those smart home lighting systems where you can control the lights in your house with your phone. And if you order a pizza from the Domino's Pizza app, then the IFTTT app will, when the Domino's pizza delivery person pulls into your driveway through like geofencing or something, will automatically turn the lights of your porch on. (laughs) The future has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. The future is here. So as I was thinking about this, if this, then that sequence, uh, I, I see that playing out in Isaiah's spectrums attributed to the light of Christ. And so see if you can follow with me that if we start with say, if Jesus is, as it says, mighty God, that if we start, if this Jesus is in fact mighty God, as it says in the gospel of John as a fulfillment of this prophecy that uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word here is Jesus Christ, and the word was with God, and the word was God, well, then Jesus is God, which means he is not just merely a prophet. He is not just someone who lived a good life. He is not just some good moral teacher. No, Jesus is mighty 
God. He is God. And John goes on then, in him, if this is who he is, in him was life, and that life was the light. That life is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then from there we have Christmas, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Amen. And so Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And so if this Jesus is God, then that, then how does this Jesus as God choose to relate to us? What does it have to do with us if he's God? Well, it says in Isaiah that he is as an everlasting father, an everlasting father. That could also be translated as father of eternity. As the word father here, it literally means the source that uh, you could say in the same way that Satan is the source or the father of lies, John 8, 44. Jesus is the source for eternity or eternal life. And so how do we access this eternity? How do we get this eternal life if that's what we're after? If this, then he is, it says, the prince of peace, that we then receive Jesus as the prince of peace. You see, because of our sin, because of the darkness that separates us from God, it says actually in, first, uh, excuse me, in Colossians 1 that we are enemies of God. We are enemies of God because of the sin that separates us. So that's bad news. But the good news is, or the gospel, Matthew 1, 21, the fulfilling of this prophecy in Isaiah. She, Mary, will give birth to a son and he is to be given the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. He will save the people from the darkness that separates us from God. And so Colossians 1, 21 in its entirety says, once... Once upon a time, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, because of your sin, because of your darkness. But nevertheless, verse 22, now he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from any accusation. Thus, making peace making peace with God by saving you from the separation of God that is a result of your sin through the Prince of Peace. Both in this life, we are reconciled to God and the next. And so if all of this, if Jesus is God, if he's the source for eternal life through the Prince of Peace who gives us peace with God, well then that, fourth, naturally, we trust and follow him as the Lord and the leader or wonderful counselor in our lives. See, Isaiah, this whole time, he is painting this contrast. He's painting this choice, this difference that you can, in contrast to seeking light and direction and counsel in all the wrong places, Jesus Christ is the right place, the place for light, direction, counsel as the wonderful counselor as the Lord and the leader of your life. If this, then that. If this, then that. And so, how do we get that? How do we get that? How do we get our hands on this wonderful counselor, this mighty God uh, who gives us everlasting life in the principle? How do I get a hold of that? And the answer to that question is truly the great surprise 
of the Christmas story. The great surprise of the Christmas story is that ironically, you can't do anything to get it because you can't work for it, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't achieve it. As it says in Isaiah 9, 6, we can only receive it because onto us a child is born, onto us a son is given. It's a gift. And so Isaiah's Old Testament prophecy again, fulfilled 700 years later in the Gospel of John, chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world that unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, you won't perish, but you will have eternal life. And so that's the message of this gift given. And, you know, as we acknowledged at the beginning of our time together, there is this, this contrast, right, between the culture's, Christian, or excuse me, the culture's Christmas and you could say the, the, the Christ followers' Christmas and how this all comes together. And as I think about those contrasts, one of the distinctives that most stands out to me uh, about our contemporary cultural Christmas uh, is this unique giving of gifts. And you might say, well, that's, not that unique to Christmas. I mean, we give gifts on lots of occasions, you know, uh, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, Father's Days, Mother's Days, all these celebrations and these occasions where someone is given gifts. But there's only one in which not just one, but everyone is receiving gifts. And that is the holiday of Christmas. And think about it, how illuminating is it that at Christmas we celebrate that Jesus didn't just come, but, and he didn't just come as a gift, but he came as the gift, and he didn't just come for someone in some particular circumstance. He is the one gift that is for everyone. It's a gift for everyone. It's everyone receives a gift because God so loved the world. The Apostle Paul paints it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, speaking to the gift of Jesus Christ, to this son that has been given, to this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And so how do you get that? You don't. You don't go get it, you don't go earn it, you don't go achieve it, you only can receive it because he is a gift. And so, as we wrap up our conversation about this, um, here in a minute, we're going to, you could say, 2 Corinthians 9.15 it here, and we are going to uh, give thanks to God for his indescribable gift as we celebrate communion together. Um, as we remember uh, the full prophecy and the full fulfillment of who Jesus is. And so if you're preparing communion, we thank you for your preparing that and invite you to go and do that. But listen to the words of Isaiah as he talks about not just a child in a manger, but a full life and a full ministry and the fulfillment of all that Jesus came to do. In Isaiah chapter 53, he says, surely he, he took up our pain. He took up our suffering. He took up our darkness. He bore our suffering and he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our darkness. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
And so each week here at First Christian, we celebrate that reality, that in communion, this memorial that Jesus gave us, we remember his broken body in the bread and his shed blood in the cup. And so if you're here today and you've received that given gift, uh, then we invite you to celebrate with us the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor, the Savior and Lord, uh, and, and take the bread and the cup as it has passed as you remember the sacrifice on the cross that he made for you and for me. But if you're here today and you realize, maybe in sitting here for weeks or months or maybe even years, you have not said yes, you have not received, you have maybe tried to earn or strive or get something straight or work it out or get through the darkness or whatever it is you thought you had to do, but you have not yet just simply received, well then today can be that day where you understand and accept and receive this gospel, this good news, that you are free from that sin, free from that darkness, that he is the one that removes blindfolds, not ourselves. That is the upside down reality of Christ Christmas that we'll never find in the culture. And so that's who he is. And so as we celebrate communion, if you have not yet received that gift, uh, if you'll allow me, I will lead uh, you in a prayer that will allow you to do that this day. And so as we remember him, or maybe perhaps step into receiving that gift for the first time, uh, let me pray for you and let's pray together in that. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, for anyone here, whether in Lovington or online or in the East Auditorium, who has not yet received your gift given, which is the forgiveness of all our sin that separates us from you, God, for that person right now, we thank you that they can receive you and your forgiveness in this moment, both for this life and the next. And so if that's you here today, in your own words, would you just simply say and pray in, in the quietness of your seat there, I recognize I am a sinner. God, even as I say that for someone else, I, we're all there, God. We, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, no matter how long we've known that, whether today or for many years. But nevertheless, nevertheless, you are the son of God who has been given. And so now I receive you into my life And I receive your gift as Prince of Peace, Savior from my sin. And I give my life to follow you as wonderful counselor, Lord of my life. And so if you prayed that prayer today, Don't leave this place without sharing that with, with me or with one of our leaders here in a little bit. We'll have a time of prayer with some leaders in the front of all three rooms. And we would be honored to celebrate that decision and help you take those next steps. Uh, but God, for us all now, now together as one group of gift receivers, we celebrate and remember um, while free to us, the very high cost of that gift given in your 
body broken for us and your blood shed for us for the forgiveness of sin and the reality that three days later that all changed when you raised a new life in the new life that you've given us. And so we remember, we celebrate, and we give thanks in your name. Amen.